0: You know, it's really good to see you guys this morning. It's been a while since since we've been here. Uh, that's the way summer is. Um, we we've had a little bit of vacation, and uh, we turned um, lemons into lemonade. We lost uh, our lease on a on a on a little lake place where we would go uh, every summer early and, and enjoy a week in in this. Family's lake place, and we lost the lease, and we were kind of crabby until we looked at each other and said, "Hey, how about a road trip?" And I maybe mentioned that, but it was awesome. We uh, we got to explore Wyoming and southern Utah, and it was it was amazing. It really was. In fact, um, my I, I love Kathy for lots of reasons, but now I love her for how brave she is. Okay, uh, Mark, do we have a? Pi- oh, you have. Okay, I can't see in the back. This will be interesting. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll be just fine. That's my wife if you, don't, if you haven't met her. Uh, and that, that's a good possibility. We're never together here at church. They probably wonder, you guys want, maybe wonder if I have a wife. And when she came with our kids, you thought, who's that nice red-headed lady with those cute kids? Well, that would be my wife, All right. But we vacationed together, and uh, we learned in these crazy Polaris ATVs in the Slick Rock area around Moab, Utah, how to have a lot of fun. And uh, she did half the driving, and she probably did better than me. Okay, so much for our road trip. We're not going to talk about my road trip or our road trip today. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul's road trip, actually his third road trip on our uh, time out west, we bumped into several places where Lewis and Clark had been, especially as we were in North Dakota, actually, uh, where Lewis and Clark had been on, a, on an amazing journey, an amazing road trip, an amazing adventure. At the beginning of the 19th century, President Thomas Jefferson commissioned these guys to uh, find a way, if there was a way, to the Pacific Ocean that could be a, a, a commercial route. So they stood, So they took off on this uh, road trip or this journey of exploration and and it was fascinating as you well know i mean to read the story of lewis and clark's uh, road trip west or or their, or their journey to the west is just amazing all that they discovered all that they experienced and uh and anyway that's that's one kind of a journey it's not a vacation it's a journey of exp- exploration But this morning, we're going to take a look at the third journey or road trip that the Apostle Paul took as recorded for us in the book of Acts. These are strategic, much more strategic than President Jefferson sending Lewis and Clark out to explore, to find a way. The missionary journeys, the missions of the Apostle Paul were commissioned from the throne room of heaven through the word of Jesus Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit, not to go out and find a way, but to go out and proclaim the way. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are reminded that these are the words of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our King, and he said before he went to heaven, and he's coming back, but before he went to heaven, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus made it very clear that it was on his heart, because it was on God's heart, to take the miracle of salvation that Jesus accomplished for us and take it out as a gift to people all over the world who would benefit from it, not only in being saved from their sins and being able to stand before God's judgment, to stand before God's judgment in the future with full assurance that their sins were not going to be brought up, that their sins had been forgiven, that they would be declared a child of God and welcomed into heaven because of what Jesus had done. Jesus did not say, I'm going to come and teach you to follow. He said, I will be the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing more powerful happening on the planet right now that when the gospel, the message of who Jesus is and what he has done and what that means for ordinary people like you and me, that changes our lives when we come to believe that. It changes our future when we come to believe that. Who is Jesus to you this morning, honestly? When you think of your relationship to Jesus, how would you describe that? That's the most important thing about you this morning. Do you know him? Do you know about him? Have you come to trust him with your life? This morning, we get to look at this good news again. And look at it in its simplicity and power and the difference it makes in the lives of people like you and me. We're going to stop in the city of Ephesus. This is Paul's third uh, missionary journey. He has just gone to two major centers in the Greco-Roman Empire. He's been to Athens, which which was the center of intellectual activity, in athens uh this is where guys like socrates and plato and aristotle the ones that we learned about in 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 our in in ancient history that's where these guys taught they loved to talk about ideas and god came there with the gospel through the apostle paul In chapter 18 of of, uh, the book of Acts, he goes to Corinth. Now, Corinth was an interesting place. There's uh, two letters to Corinth that are powerfully important for Christians in getting our our head around what it means to live with Jesus, especially the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in Corinth, which, which was a major commercial city, this little missionary showed up and set up shop by going to the synagogue and getting kicked out and setting up, uh, teaching in the marketplace, and what did he do? He He proclaimed the good news about Jesus. 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 He proclaimed the good news about Jesus, and sometimes he suffered for it. But God was with him the power of the Holy Spirit took that message of Jesus and changed lives in Corinth and a new community of people whose lives were now centered, not in their old pagan ways or even in the commercial prosperity of Corinth, but in the life and message of Jesus. They understood themselves in a new way as they understood and believed and opened their lives to Jesus and what he had done for them. You guys, it's not any different now than it was then. On God's heart is for people like you and I to come into the full benefits of what he has done for us in Jesus. This week he's going, we're going to pick up Paul's stop and he's going to be here for a while. He's going to be here for a couple years, but we're going to see how the gospel came to Ephesus, how God did this and what it means for us. So our text today is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to break it up into into four different parts. We're going to first of all see 12 almost Christians become Christians, okay? And then we're going to see the power of persistent proclamation. When the Word of God does what the Word of God does, and over time, it transforms lives. The third thing we're going to see... Is, and, and the third thing is, this is really an, an interesting one. We are going to see, um, well, I suppose you could call it um, the story of seven bleeding streakers, okay? Okay, you, you hang on, we're going to talk about that. And then the last thing that we're going to take a look at is a million-dollar bonfire, okay? You guys ready? Let's take a look at the first 20, uh, 20 verses of Acts chapter 19, reading in Jesus' name. Paul entered the synagogue. Oh, excuse me, that's, that's verse 8. Here we go. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Oh, so Paul said, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, hmm, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. This is really interesting. As Paul comes into a city, and, and please understand that the advance of the kingdom of God does not uh, go forward according to a great master plan that is neat and tidy and predictable and always the same in every community. No, this happens in real life like our life. It's interesting that we see that when people come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, there are four things that are are part of that coming into a relationship of God. At some point, we experience repentance. Repentance. We are convicted of our sin, and we realize that apart from God, that we are going to stand before him accountable for our sins. And that's not a pleasant thought, obviously. It may not be quite that dramatic. We might just feel kind of an emptiness inside of us. And we, and we begin to understand that that has to do with a void. It has to do with sin. Okay? The next thing that, 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 that is a part of coming into a relationship with God through Jesus is that we come to believe the good news of Jesus. We hear who Jesus is as the Son of God, we hear what his death means, and how powerfully important that is in dealing with our sin. And we understand that this is not keeping the teachings of an old dead teacher, that he is alive, he rose from the dead, and not only did he rise from the dead, but he promised that all who believe in him will rise from the dead exactly as he did. That's why Christians face death differently than people who don't understand what Jesus did from us, for us. And lastly, he, he sends his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you know, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, I'm going to be in heaven. My, I'm bodily going to go to heaven, but my Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Maybe you've heard a friend talk about asking Jesus into her heart. And that's one way to talk about coming into a relationship with Jesus. But what asking Jesus into our heart means is that we've come under conviction of our sins, that we've come to believe in Jesus, and, God, and Jesus comes into our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as a part of that, we are baptized. This was God's idea, not the church's idea. We are baptized into Jesus. Baptism is with water is, is, is a, a, a part of becoming a Christian. All of these things are part of becoming a Christian, and they don't always happen in the same order. For example, when Peter was, uh, was prompted by God to share for the first time the good news of Jesus in a non-Jewish home where he thought he would become unclean if he entered, he did not become unclean when he walked into that non-Jewish home of a Roman soldier. He walked into that home, and the, yeah, there was a change that took place, but a Roman soldier was cleansed and purified by faith in Jesus, Peter told him who Jesus was, salvation broke out, the Holy Spirit was present, and this Roman soldier and his family, as far away from Judaism as you could be, started speaking in tongues. And the Jewish believers said, wow, how does this happen? Should we not baptize these people? Obviously they received the Holy Spirit. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were baptized into Jesus. Well, who are these people that Paul runs into in Ephesus? This is interesting. They're believers, but Paul has a sense that their believing needs a little work. So he says, oh, so you're believers. Have you you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, Paul said. Um, then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. Paul goes, Aha, now I understand. Now I understand. The ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare people to believe in Jesus. His was a baptism of repentance that was not a saving work, but it was a preparing work. These men somehow had come into, these Jewish men had somehow come under the ministry of John the Baptist. So they understood that it was important to to repent of their sins, but now they were going to receive the good news of what Jesus had done for them. John himself said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worried to untie. He will baptize, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, Paul said to them, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him. He pointed to Jesus. And I'm here today to share with you the good news of what Jesus has done for you and invite you to open your hearts. I'm inviting you to believe in him. And as you believe in him, you will be baptized. And as you are baptized, you will receive the Holy Spirit. So in that, I'm wondering how many people in our community may be like that. They've, they've heard the call of God, they've, they, 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 they sense the call of God, and yet they've never really heard a clear presentation of Jesus in a way that the Holy Spirit anoints and brings them into fellowship With God. This is just a beautiful moment. Fritz Reidenhauer wrote wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, which which goes, the title was, How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. (laughs) Interesting title. Basically, he was saying uh, by his title, the theme of the book of Romans is that God brings us into relationship with Himself His way. God comes, God saves, God gives us the gift of salvation and we receive it humbly as a gift. It's not the religious works that we do, it's the righteous works that Jesus did for us. Isn't that great news? Yeah, maybe you didn't have a great week in performing for God. Um, You probably didn't. (laughs) That's not what makes you right with God. Jesus did a perfect work in accomplishing your salvation. And he invites you to embrace that with your whole heart. Well, I'm just gonna flip Fritz Reidenhauer's uh, title, How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious, because Paul walked into the city and he discovered people that were religious without being a Christian. (laughs) They had a sense of longing for God, but they had not come into this powerful gift that changes our lives, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there are people in our lives That have a longing for God but haven't come to that point of understanding who Jesus is. Who will witness to them? Who will witness to them? Who will be in their lives and tell them about Jesus? The Apostle Paul walked into a fellowship and was delighted. He did not shame them for not believing in Jesus yet. How do they believe in Jesus if they haven't heard about him? Sometimes I'm guilty, maybe you are too. You may have uh, people in your life that, uh, that, are, that, that, that aren't following Jesus yet. And, and sometimes we, we, we almost get uh, maybe even a prideful, judgmental attitude about people that aren't following Jesus. Let me just say this. How are they going to follow Jesus unless they hear a clear presentation of who Jesus is, a proclamation of Jesus that the Holy Spirit can use to create faith? I'm just saying... They may be Jehovah Witness, but they may never have been clarified yet as to who Jesus is. Whose fault is that? Is it theirs (laughs) or is it the church? They may have come from a totally different culture and haven't heard the good news about Jesus yet. I think as Paul came into Ephesus, he had the joy of seeing people that were seeking after God and yet hadn't fully understood what Jesus had done for us. Maybe this morning you're here on a, on a quest for God. Maybe you're wondering how you can connect with God. I am so glad you're here. And if you are at a place where you would love to have someone just talk with you about what Jesus has done for you, man, myself, or any of the pastors at the church, there's no greater joy than seeing God bring a a person alive and understanding and believing who Jesus is. It's the greatest thing that happens in any of our lives. And that's what Paul saw happen in Ephesus as 12 almost Christians became Christians. Let's move on to verses 8 through 12. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. By the way, those words, the way, was how people described the early Christians. Isn't that beautiful? They were described not according to their body of doctrine. They were were described according to their way of life. These were people who were following Jesus. Anyway, and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, and all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Paul left the synagogue he could only tell the gospel so many times in that setting. He did it for three months. I'd say that's pretty patient, wouldn't you? Were there people coming to faith during that time? We have a sense that they were because there were believers that left with Paul. But understand this, and this is kind of sobering. The same sun that melts butter hardens clay. And there are some who in their obstinence, in their pridefulness, when they hear the gospel and it tells them of their need for the Savior, become harder and harder and harder. Paul's friends in the synagogue came under that category. Paul ran into this all the time. You think after a while, he wouldn't even go to the synagogue anymore. He knew what was going to happen. Not only... Would his message not be believed? But there are other times when his life became very difficult because he had preached at the synagogue and he had started a stir. Why was he doing it? Because God keeps his promises. When we get to heaven, there won't be one thing in our lives that we can bring up before God and say, you said this, but you didn't. (laughs) Your kids ever remind you of something you promised that you didn't honor? I hear some people's kids have had that experience. I don't know. Your heavenly Father will not make a promise to you and then not honor it. There were promises made to the people of Israel that they would hear the gospel. The first people that heard the gospel, often in communities, were the Jewish people. Why? Because God was faithful, even though so often they weren't faithful. God was faithful, beautiful. And why does that matter for you and I sitting here today? It's because we base our life and our future and our souls and our destiny on the promises of God. This is just one example. But if God promised you that you, if you, if you open your heart and trust Jesus with your soul, your soul is safe, and it is because God promised it. God promised it. Now it's interesting that while this proclamation is going forward, Paul is experiencing God doing these, it says extraordinary. I don't know if we should use the word crazy, but it's not ordinary. Paul is a tent maker, which means that that this was hard work. And it means that he probably sweat. Yes, he sweat, not probably. And the, and the claws that he used to wipe his brow and the apron that he wore, we're told that when those were taken to the sick and the demon-possessed, that they were healed or released from the grip of the devil. Now, that's amazing, right? I think we should start one of those ministries at triumph. <laughs> right? We should get some of you gals making handkerchiefs. And no, 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 no. I mean, this happened during Jesus' ministry. The miracles were not the focus. The miracles were alongside the the, the proclamation of God's word. They went together. Like like when Jesus went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing the sick, like the first disciples did. Do you think it would be kind of interesting to see those kind of miracles today? Of course, I do. Those miracles accompanied the committed, sold-out, Devotion to the mission of Jesus. Why were there extraordinary miracles? Because God was doing something extraordinary. What was the extraordinary thing he was doing? He was saving souls from the grip of the devil. He was preparing people to be able to stand before him with confidence in eternity and live protected in this world. This is amazing. This is extraordinary. But that's how much God loves you. And oh yeah, there were some amazing miracles that were happening that supported that. Understand this. Those amazing miracles did nothing to convince those with obstinate, hard hearts. This had been going on for months. It's sad, it's tragic how embedded our unbelief can be. How embedded our unbelief can be. God is amazing and beautiful in in what he does to meet us. and, 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 And he understands those that are open. And actually, you know, if if we're seeking him, we're going to find him. He's not going to judge us and turn us away. We're going to find him. That's the way he is. But as we go forth with the message, certainly throughout history, amazing things have happened around the gospel. They happen on the front line of mission. This is happening on the front line of mission. All right. The miracles accompanied the gospel proclamation. Let's move on. By the way, when Paul decided he's gonna, I'm done in the synagogue, I've done what we can do, you guys have heard, I'm going to Tyrannus' lecture hall. Paul probably was there from like 11 in the morning till four in the afternoon. In the heat of that part of the world, there would be a morning shift, a siesta, a rest shift, and then an evening shift. And Paul would use that in between time to prepare the gospel. And you wanna see something extraordinary? Word spread from Ephesus across that region of the world. And there were people that heard the gospel because Paul was teaching during his midday break. And there were people from these places that came and heard the good news. So that after two years of doing this, what does it say? After two years of doing this, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Now that's extraordinary. Let us be faithful in proclaiming the word of God. Asking, of course, the Holy Spirit to give us the words and do what only God can do alongside the preaching of the gospel. Okay, let's, uh, we're gonna move into the part now with, uh, with uh, bloody streakers. Um, this is amazing. Uh, and it, it, but what we're seeing here is spiritual warfare. I don't I love the songs Emily picked. She 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 talked about in Christ alone, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand you know brothers and sisters in Christ this is not only does god give us the promise that we'll be in, that will be saved from hell and eternity he protects you from the enemy of your soul here and now as you trust in him the name of jesus not only gives you access when you pray in the name of jesus you are, you enter into the throne room of heaven the name of jesus is not only going to be your blessed assurance as you stand before god the name of jesus protects you in this broken world in this world where there is spiritual Warfare going on, it protects you from the schemes of the enemy. Okay, verse 13. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They were treating Jesus' name almost like a pagan incantation. If we say the right words or do the right things, this will happen. Let's try the name of Jesus bad idea let's go on here they would say in the name of jesus whom paul preaches i command you to come out seven sons of Skiva. this is not a metal band okay <laughs> seven sons of Skiva. a jewish chief priest were doing this one day the evil spirit answered them jesus i know and paul i know but who are you then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. There. I was not exaggerating. Wow. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. They were messing with the name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus. The name that brings comfort in our time of need. The name that we explain to our children as they're growing up and want to know about God. The name above all names. It's a powerful name. And they learned a lesson on using the name of Jesus superstitiously or like a kind of sorcery. Nope, that wasn't going to happen. And so in this moment, as happened in Jesus' ministry. You know who were some of the first people to recognize who Jesus was? Well, it wasn't the people. Those who had been possessed by an evil spirit when Jesus was in their presence, they said, what do you, want, what do you have to do with us, son of David? Our time has not yet come. They knew who Jesus is. The spirit world knows who Jesus is. There is no one who would dare challenge Jesus in the spirit world. Lucifer tried that. He got cast out of heaven. How'd that go for him? Jesus is Lord on earth and in heaven, and one day all of creation is going to understand this. All of creation is going to understand this. And in this encounter, this just sounds kind of weird, but it's really important. It shows us the name of Jesus in the spirit realm. Why is it important for us? You think the enemy's done pestering people? Do you, you think the enemy's done trying to hold, find ways or strongholds in people's lives to keep them from the freedom that Jesus came to want? Do you ever find that, that you're, you're stuck in an area of your life and you, and you kind of wonder where it came from? I know that spiritual warfare can be blown out of proportion so, so that people see a demon under every rock. I'm not talking about that. But people, spiritual warfare hasn't gone away. The demons haven't quit. <laughs> the enemy of our souls is amazingly cunning. And there's parts of the world where, where, where spiritual oppression is, is a part of everyday life. It's interesting in our Lutheran Brethren story as a church family, the first convert in Chad Africa was a former witch doctor. He understood sorcery. (laughs) He also understood the power of the name of Jesus and his life was changed. The enemy deals in fear and confusion. There's power in the name of Jesus. We see this in the book of Ephesus, the book of, in the city of Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. See, When Paul wrote his letters, he wasn't just, what should I write about today? What would be an interesting topic? He wrote about things that people were living with and dealing with. Ephesians chapter six, verse one, we're about done here. He says this to the Ephesians where this happened. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Ephesians knew all about this. Therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand then and think of Jesus and all he's done for us. Stand firm then with the belt of truth wrapped around your waist, the best of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You guys, spending time in God's Word isn't just to kind of like have a warm devotional moment. (laughs) This is how God cares for us and protects us. This is how He is for us. Understanding that you are righteous in Christ, not your own. Understanding that God has blessed you with truth and living in that. When Paul brought the gospel to, Ephesian, to, to Ephesus, there's a spiritual battle going on. You think there's a spiritual battle going on in Fargo-Moorhead? I do. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he was in a larger church, and he's not in a larger church anymore. He's in a smaller church, but he loves it. It's a church that's focused on ministering to people who have been in the grip of, of strongholds like Addictions. I said so how's it going he says oh it's kind of rough he said but it's fun to see miracles happen miracles happen when the power of jesus sets people free from the schemes of the enemy to hold our lives in the grip of of uh of things that we were not created to to live in so let's just let's finish uh, verses 17 through 20 this is the million dollar bonfire When this became known to the Jews and Greeks, that's this encounter with uh, the seven sons of Sceva. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. This is a holy, good fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed came now and openly confessed what they had done. A number of those who had practiced sorcery, these are believers now brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Some say it was in the thousands, but more likely it was in the millions. This is a city of 750,000 people. In this way, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. Interesting. These books of of incantations, these books of things to say that have power in the spiritual realm. These books, whether you're a shaman or a witch doctor or a medium or whatever, these books, which are fascinating because the enemy is using them to deceive and to create fear and false hope. These books were powerful, and they were expensive. And they realize that as a child of God, I no longer have anything to do with anything that the enemy can use as a stronghold in my life. You may not have a book of incantations at home. But some of us have on our phone some things that are gateways or strongholds to the enemy's control in our lives. And so we probably aren't going to burn our phones Maybe we should, I don't know. Anyway, burn our phones. But we can hit delete, right? We can get rid of some of these strongholds that the enemy is using just to mess with us. It happened in Ephesus. As they saw the glory of God and experienced a holy sense of fear, holy sense of reverence, no longer underwhelmed by God, but understanding how great he is. And now understanding who they were as the blood-bought children of God through Jesus. The perspective on life changed, right? They had a bonfire, very expensive bonfire. They could have sold those books on, e- on eBay, but they weren't going to spread the poison. They burned them. Isn't that something? God has given us the account of the third missionary journey of the apostle Paul, because the issues that humanity face, we face. God has given us the book of Ephesians because the same powerful truth that guided their lives as young Christians we need very much today. The reason we're here today is because of what Jesus has done for us, amen? There is nothing more important in our lives than to reckon with that, to come humbly trembling before him and hear the good news. I will wash your sins away You are my child. Trust in me, and he will keep those promises. And out of his love, he will bring conviction in those areas in our lives that we have no business any longer as children of God messing with. We can burn them or chuck them or delete them. But God calls us to do that out of his great love. Right? Let's pray.